The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Guess what, Mango? What's that, Will? So you remember back in 2008 when Michael Phelps had that daily diet that got so much attention because he was eating these insane amounts of food? Yeah, he was eating something like 8,000 calories a day. Yeah, try 12,000 calories a day during his peak training. He'd eat a whole pizza, a pound of pasta, three fried eggs, French toast, multiple burgers, and it seemed like anything else he could get his hands on. Which seems so gross, but also kind of the best thing ever. Right. (laughs) And during those same Olympics, Usain Bolt reportedly ate 47,000 calories worth of chicken McNuggets. <laughs> yeah, he was eating them with fries for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Well, that seems all less great. Yeah, but wouldn't 16-year-old Mango think of it's pretty incredible? Definitely. So I started thinking about this, and I know you've been getting back into tennis, and I've been running a good bit these past few years, but I thought if I could just take this to the extreme, I may be able to follow a similar diet. Like, let's say I'm running 20 miles a week right now, and I just keep doubling that for the next five weeks. <laughs> I'd be running 640 miles a week by the end of this. I'm so excited about this. Then I could eat like 12 Chipotle burritos every day and still have room for a half dozen Wendy's spicy chicken sandwiches and maybe even a couple of those naked chicken chalupas after I run for the border. It's going to be great. But after our research for today's episode, science may have crushed my dreams again. It turns out there's not quite as strong of a connection between exercise and weight loss as we once thought. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Stupid science. Stupid science. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Mangesh Hatikader. And today we're diving into the topic of exercise, its benefits, its limitations, whether it can actually help us shed some unwanted pounds, and if it really makes us healthier people. And fear not, we also have a couple of our patented ridiculous quizzes along the way. Who have we got on the line today, Mango? So we'll be talking to Herman Ponser, an anthropology professor at Hunter College in New York City. 
He's responsible for some truly incredible research on exercise, and he's going to help us get to the bottom of just how useful physical activity really is for burning calories. We're also going to talk to a couple of personal trainers and see if we can whip them into shape through the power of our trivia. All right. So before today's episode, I would have told you that exercising is probably the best way to lose weight, simply based on the conventional wisdom of calories in, calories out. I mean, that sounds sensible, right? Sure. We take in calories through what we eat and drink and then burn them up through exercise. The more you exercise, the more calories you burn. And the more weight you lose, it just makes sense. It does. But there are actually all these studies conducted over the last few years that suggest exercise really isn't an effective way to lose excess weight. For example, Dr. Timothy Church of the Pennington Biomedical Research Center at LSU, he held an experiment where hundreds of overweight women were given strict workout regimens for six months. The one group of them exercised a little over an hour each week, another one for a little over two hours, and another for over three hours. There was also a fourth group that stuck to their typical routine and didn't exercise at all. And against all logic and fairness, there was no major difference in the weight <laughs> loss between the women who had exercised and the ones who hadn't. How pissed would you be if you were that <laughs> so three-hour group? In fact, some of the women in the exercise groups actually gained weight. Which doesn't seem fair at all. I mean, they put in the work. They deserve a reward. Well, it's funny you should say that because Church actually concluded that the rewards were the problem. You know, exercise stimulates appetite, and many of the women counteracted their work by overeating afterward. Church suggested that it was justified in their minds as kind of a self-reward for all the energy they'd exerted through exercise. Yeah, we hear that sort of thinking all the time, like cheat days and junk food rewards for going to the gym. But if we're canceling out the calories we burn, then we're probably imagining our workouts to be much more effective than they really are. I mean, the Department of Health and Human Services recommends people aim for at least 30 minutes of physical activity every day. But a 30-minute workout, that only burns about 200 calories. And the average slice of pizza contains close to like 300 calories. So you can see how the math doesn't quite work. It's really just not fair at all. But, uh, <laughs> it isn't just those powerful post-workout indulgences that counteract calories burned through exercise. You know, the things we consume in preparation for or even during a workout can also take a toll. Which is a good point. I mean, those 200 calories you burn during your 30 minutes on the treadmill, every single one goes right back into your body thanks to that bottle of Gatorade or that energy bar you might have scarfed down while running. Right, right. And the same goes for the bagel or the oatmeal used to carbo-load before your workout. And we think the energy from these meals is going to help us power through and burn more calories at the gym, but it's actually the calories from those pregame foods that are going to get burned off first. And why is that? Well, because sugar from what you've just consumed will still be floating freely in your bloodstream, and it takes muscle tissue much less energy to take that sugar than it does to burn off the existing fat stores. So your most recent meal will always be the first to go during a workout. But we could always just exercise a little longer, right? I mean, once those preliminary calories are gone, our muscle cells will start chipping away at stored fat for fuel. Well, I mean, yes and no. According to some breakthrough research from Herman Ponser, there are a lot of assumptions we've been making about human metabolism that they're not quite right. So, you know, it's true that a longer workout would result in more calories burned and even some from stored fat. But we know there's a limit to how many calories your body will metabolize in any given day. So I'm definitely intrigued. But before we get too far into this, we should probably clarify the basics of metabolism. All right. Well, I'll let you do that. Go for it. <laughs> okay. So um, metabolism is basically the sum of all the processes that takes place in our bodies. 
We're talking digestion, respiration, the production of cells, the movement of substances between cells, you name it. And all these processes require energy, which our bodies release from the calories we consume. So even without exercise and other forms of physical activity, we still burn through or metabolize a huge number of calories simply by being alive. Yeah, exactly. So back to Herman Ponser's world-shattering research, in February's issue of Scientific American, Herman shared findings from his study of the Hadza tribe in rural Tanzania. He and other researchers spent a whole month living with the Hadza, who were one of the last traditional hunter-gatherer cultures left on Earth. And it was during this time that Herman and his partners recorded measurements of the daily energy expenditures of a couple dozen tribesmen and women, so this allowed them to compare the daily calorie burn of a society in which every member is highly active to a Western society like our own in which members are more, you know, sedentary. <laughs> well, back up a second. You said the researchers measured the Hadza's daily energy expenditure, but I'm wondering how they pulled that off. Are you really wondering that, Mango, or are you just sensing there's an opportunity here to talk about doubly labeled water? <laughs> of course it is. You know I love the DLW. God. Doubly labeled water is this special water in which the hydrogen and oxygen molecules have been either partly or entirely replaced with heavy isotopes that aren't usually found in the human body. And it's safe to drink this stuff? Completely. They're stable isotopes, so they're non-radioactive. But here's what's great about them. After somebody drinks DLW that's been enriched, researchers suddenly have this tracking mechanism. Basically, by measuring the concentration found in urine samples, researchers can determine a person's daily rate of carbon dioxide production. And since carbon dioxide is a waste product of our body's energy-making processes, calculating how much CO2 someone produces in a day is the best way to measure their energy expenditure. That is pretty neat. Yeah, doubly labeled water has become the gold standard for measuring how much energy a person consumes. Like, the margin of error is pretty small. And in fact, the only downside is the cost. DLW is expensive. Like, are we talking smart water expensive or like Fiji water expensive? <laughs> no, it's so much more than that. DLW runs researchers about $1,500 per test subject. Oh, man. Actually, you know what this uh, really expensive water reminds me of? And I know this is totally off topic, but... Did you know the federal government actually sells a $220 jar of peanut butter? And there's just six ounces of peanut butter in there. It's like a tiny jar. And it also goes by this incredibly catchy name. Are you ready for it? Standard reference material number 2387. Oh, that sounds delicious. So, but, <laughs> but why is it actually so expensive? Is, is it more delicious? No, it's the wonkiest reason ever. It's this super precise like peanut butter with specific levels of amino acids and fats and carcinogens. And it's mostly used for quality control. So companies can test their standards against the governments and make sure it measures up. But as a result, no one actually eats the peanut butter. It's just for lab purposes which only makes me want to try it more, like with a really cheap jelly. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get back to DLW. Let me tell you what Herman and his partners were actually able to learn from having the Hadza tribe drink it. Lay it on me. Well, first, let me preface this by saying that the Hadza are the kings and queens of exercise. Every single day, the men trek miles and miles to hunt for game with homemade bows and arrows. They scale 40-foot trees to hack tree limbs with hatchets and gather wild honey. Now, the women forage all day for wild berries and other edible plants like tubers that they dig out of the ground with sticks. Even the kids of the tribe are put to work by hauling pails of water from a mile or more away. <laughs> okay, so they're seriously active and no one's sitting at their desks. 
Right, definitely not. But what the researchers found was that even though the Hadza's lives are far more physically demanding, the amount of calories they ate and burned through in the day was the same as in Europe and the U.S. Now, the men went through about 2,600 calories a day, and the women burned through about 1,900. According to Herman, we looked at the data every way imaginable, accounting for the effects of body size, fat percentage, age, and sex, no difference at all. Which is insane. Isn't it? I mean, then you naturally assume that physically active people would burn more calories, of course, but the research really doesn't bear that out. In fact, they did a follow-up study with about 300 participants, and it showed the exact same thing. The people who were the most active burned the same daily amount of calories as those who were only moderately active. <laughs> and the participants who barely left the couch at all burned about 200 fewer calories than them. The same amount they would have burned from a mere 30 minutes of exercise. But doesn't that seem to suggest that our metabolisms are, like, fixed? Like, it almost seems like there's a preset amount of calories that your body's willing to burn in any given day. And no matter how far you run or how many push-ups you do, you won't be able to top that max limit. But my bigger question is this. Why doesn't the Hadza hunter burn more in a day than the average office worker? Well, I'm not sure we really have the answer to that yet. But one thing I've seen researchers suggest is that our bodies account for the calories burned through physical activity by dialing back on the number of calories we devote to the background functions that keep us alive. About 60 to 75 percent of the calories we burn each day go to these unseen or unconscious processes. So it's possible that when our physical activity pushes us beyond that other 25 to 40 percent of daily caloric expenditure, our bodies just cut back on the calories spent on metabolic processes. This would help even the scales and keep us from exceeding our preset energy budget for the day. Which is really cool, but also disheartening, right? No wonder I've got this uh, punch. I feel so betrayed. <laughs> Don't take it too hard. So a fixed daily energy expenditure limit is likely an evolved trait meant to help conserve our fat stores for when we really need them. I mean, imagine if the Hadza hunters were free to burn through 10,000 calories during a hunt instead of the typical 2,000 or so. If they were to come up empty-handed, they would have lost five days' worth of calories in one with no prospects for replacing them. And at that rate, their already limited fat stores would be depleted in no time, and they'd find themselves on the brink of starvation. Which is a great point. But still, doesn't it make you feel like maybe all that time spent exercising was, I don't know, kind of a waste? Well, no, hold on a second. So <laughs> don't forget that exercise has all kinds of great benefits beyond weight loss. For starters, exercise is fantastic for your heart and blood vessels. It makes your heart contract with greater force and frequency which increases blood flow, leads to less artery clogging. There's also plenty of evidence that exercise helps reduce the risk of some cancers, as well as type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease. But one of my favorite benefits of exercise that often goes overlooked, not only does it help strengthen your muscles, it helps strengthen your bones too. Just like muscles, bones grow stronger when they've been made to carry more weight than normal. So your muscles contract during exercise, they apply force to the bones that support those parts of the body. The added force stimulates the bones and causes them to reinforce themselves by building new tissue. Which is really cool. But you know, Will, I'm pretty sure we'd have to forfeit our part-time genius membership cards if we missed the chance to talk about some of the more amazing mental benefits of exercise. Like, thanks to Fernando Gomez Pinilla, a neurosurgery professor at UCLA, we now have some firm evidence of that connection. Namely, we know that exercise increases the number of certain molecules in the brain that are crucial for cognition. For example, there's one molecule called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, or BDNF, and that stimulates the growth and survival of brain cells and even helps facilitate communication between them. 
And there have been some studies on rats that have shown that physical activity boosts BDNF levels in the hippocampus, which is a part of the brain that's super important for learning and even memory function. All right, but how exactly does that help the rats? Well, that higher level of BDNF actually allowed them to better remember how they find their way through underwater mazes. And there are tons of studies that suggest that same kind of mental improvement from fitness happens in humans as well. Well, a better brain is definitely a nice perk, but there's another mental benefit to exercise that I like even more, and that's mood enhancement. You've probably heard of runner's high or exercise high. (laughs) Sure, I've heard of both of those. That's the euphoric feeling you get when you're knee-deep in a strenuous workout. Right, and while most people think it's caused by endorphins, you know, those dandy neurochemicals that minimize pain and stir up feelings of well-being... Exercise highs are actually due more to neurotransmitters like serotonin and neuroepinephrine. So our bodies pump more of these throughout our nervous systems during workouts, which elevates our mood and helps fight back feelings of stress and depression. Okay, so uh, maybe our bodies aren't quite the turncoats I made them out to be, but we've definitely been misinformed about the role of exercise and weight loss. How do you think this misunderstanding got started, and uh, is there really no basis for thinking exercise is an effective way to lose weight? Well, those are great questions, but before we exhaust ourselves, how about we check in with our guests for a little quiz? Sounds smart. So our guest today is partially responsible for our interest in today's topic. His research has contributed to a much better understanding of the relationship between our daily activity, our daily calorie consumption and energy use and calorie burning and and all of that. And his name just kind of sounds like he should have a theory named for him. Herman Ponser, welcome to Part-Time Genius. Hi, how you doing? We're doing well, (laughs) thank you. See what I mean, Mango? I mean, can't you just imagine something called the Herman Ponser theory of why we're still so freaking fat? (laughs) It sounds right. Yeah, yeah, we'll see if we can make that happen. So, all right, Herman, well, let's just start with your research in Tanzania, I mean, which got a lot of attention a few years ago, and people are still talking about it. Can you tell us why you were studying there and, and, and just let our listeners know about your findings from that research? Sure. Well, I'm an evolutionary biologist who's interested in how humans got to be the way they are and how the human body works from a kind of an evolutionary perspective. Um, and, of course, humans, we've all uh, spent the most most of our uh, history as hunter-gatherers. If you go back, you know, a couple thousand years, all of us are hunting and gathering. And, you know, back two million years ago, hunting and gathering kind of starts. So we have a long evolutionary history of hunting and gathering. Uh, not many populations hunt and gather anymore, um, but that makes sort of understanding how their lifestyles and their, you know, their physiology works all the more important because we think it's a really important sort of uh, touchstone for understanding how our bodies work, even in our weird environments today. Uh, so in northern Tanzania, there's a population called the Hadza, who are one of the last uh, populations on Earth that still hunt and gather um, regularly. So they don't have any crops or domesticated animals or vehicles or guns or machines or anything like that. They wake up every morning and go off and hunt wild game and gather wild plant foods, just like you know all of us did, you know, uh, just a few generations ago. Uh, and so they're this really amazing and cool and, and generous and wonderful population to work with uh, to try to understand how that lifestyle affects the way our bodies work. And one of the fundamental things we wanted to understand was how many calories they burn every day because we thought, well, they're so active. We know they're extremely active, uh, but they burn tons more calories every day than we do here in, in, you know, in the U.S. and Europe and other kind of westernized uh, societies. And what we found instead, to our huge surprise, was they burn the same number of calories every day as you and I do. Wow. 
So if they were wearing a Fitbit or something like that, would it, I mean, it would tell them that they had burned probably thousands more calories than they actually had. Is that true? Or, or? You're right. Yeah, the Fitbit would tell them the same lies that it tells you, which is, right. <laughs> uh, you know, however active you are determines how many calories you burn. So we know from other yeah. studies that we've done since that they, you know, just to confirm our intuitions there, uh, and this is obvious to anybody who's worked with these with these folks, uh, they are incredibly physically active, sort of like three to five times more physically active every day than the average Westerner. Um, and yet, despite that, uh, they're still burning the same number of calories as we do. So, you know, they're also really healthy. They have really healthy hearts and immune systems. They don't have diabetes or anything like that. We think that physical activity is a big part of that, so it's important mm-hmm. for their health, but it's not what's uh, keeping them you know, sort of uh, protected from obesity. Yeah, and that's a big part of what we're trying to remind our listeners of today is just because there's not this uh, as strong of a connection as we might have thought between exercise and weight loss, there are obviously very real benefits to to doing the exercise that we do. Yeah, that's a really important point because, you know, when we came out with this study and said, hey, look, these hunter-gatherer uh, folks who are uh, you know, important to understand our history and, and how our bodies work, um, and we thought that they would burn so many more calories than, than the rest of us do, turns out that that's not true. Um, the response that we got was, you know, <laughs> emails from out of the blue saying, you know, you're destroying the world because you're telling people not to exercise. Uh, right. And, of course, that's not what we were saying at all. You still have to exercise. It's still important for your health. It's just that it doesn't work the way that we thought it worked, which was the exciting and fun part of the science. You know, something that's been puzzling to us, and this really isn't related exactly to the Hadza, but, you know, you remember during previous Summer Olympics when you'd see all these stories on Michael Phelps and his daily diet. and The Michael and Phelps then, question. I knew it was coming. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, you had to know it was coming. So, so just, I mean, and, and again. Of course, and, he's a poncer. He knows. Right. Yeah, he's, yes. That's the, this is called the poncer effect. So, um, so the, the insane amount of food that he would eat in order to keep up with his fitness regimen. I mean, how was he not super fat during this process? Yeah. Well, so there's, there's two, I guess there's at least two pieces of this. One is that, um, Michael Phelps is not a normal human. And uh, that's obvious if you watch him swim and how fast he is and amazing as, as mm-hmm. he is as an athlete. Um, and so, you know, what he's doing during those those uh, workout, you know, cycles where he's burning 10,000 calories a day. By the way, nobody's actually measured how many calories he's burning during these cycles, so we don't really know. But right. you, know, you, you see numbers thrown around like 8,000 calories a day, um, which may, maybe is true. Um, we know that if you look at like a Tour de France cyclist like is happening right now, um, or you look at Michael Phelps during, or an, another Olympic athlete during these really intense training and competition times, that for a few weeks or even a, you know, a couple months, your body can burn tons more calories than, than would be normal. Um, what we don't know is what are the limits to that. I don't think right. Michael Phelps can burn 8,000 calories a day forever. I think that mm-hmm. you know, he, his body would break down. Um, and right. I think that, you know, he can do that during certain periods. And the other piece of this is that, you know, there's a reason that not everybody's Michael Phelps. And it might well be that people who are flexible enough in their metabolic rate to sort of be able to handle that huge influx are the people who end up being Olympic athletes, you know. Hmm. Um, and I think the third thing I'd say is it just goes to show you, um, you know, we, we think of, I think sometimes the paleo diet folks imagine these elite athletes as being kind of indicative of what our past was like, right? Like if we were only 
if we only exercised like Michael Phelps, we'd all be back to the sort of state of, of nature. Um, and in fact, people like Michael Phelps are way on the extreme of, of beyond what's, what's normal for any human society anywhere. The physical activity level mm-hmm. is just extremely too, extremely high. Well, I feel like we've been sponsored, so it's time to turn the tables here and, uh, and put him to the test. We're going to play a little quiz with Herman here. What's our quiz called today, Mango? It's called Real Vintage Diet or Something We Just Made Up. All right, so this is a pretty simple game. We're going to read you a list of diets, and you're going to tell us if they're real or whether we just made them up. Does that sound uh, sound good to you, Herman? Let's do this. All right, here we go. Five questions. The first one, the seven-day milk diet, real or made up? Um, I'll tell you this. A guy ran across the U.S. in 2015 drinking almost mil- drinking milk and almost nothing else. So oh. I want to say <laughs> I want to say true because milk is full of a lot of good stuff for you. True. That sounds terrible. Yeah. What, what is it, Mango? <laughs> it's true. A 1970s pamphlet put out by the California Milk Advisory Board advised eating less and drinking milk with every meal. Wow. That sounds horrible. And then running. That just that sounds <laughs> awful. And then run across the country. All right. Number two, the sexy pineapple diet, which happens to come from Denmark. Uh, the sexy pineapple diet? Yeah. I'm going to say there's no, but, there's no way. I study people. And what I can tell you about people is no human culture finds pineapple sexy. So I'm going to say no. The sexy pineapple. All right. This is actually true. Oh, um, and where did this come from? Yeah, BuzzFeed found this diet book from 1970, and the Chicago Tribune had actually reviewed it, and they panned it, saying, if you're ready to be miserable about something, this diet guarantees 24-hour dismay. Oh, yeah, so. I would agree with that. So There we go. All right. Sexy pineapple. One out of two. Number three. Chowder through the 30-day chowder power diet. Chowder through the 30-day chowder power diet. I just I don't want that to be true, so I'm going to say no. I'm going to say Paul through the chowder <laughs> diet. You're right. You know, Mango, I don't know how many skills you have, but this is one of your skills to make up things like this that just sounds so real. So, yes, this is, this is in fact, false, right? Yeah, it's false. The, there was a tune-around-the-clock diet for a while. Tune-around-the-clock. All right, so he's two for three. Let's see the next one. Skinny Like Lincoln, the Gettysburg Ration Diet. <laughs> <laughs> um... False, because Lincoln was skinny because he was uh, he, he had a condition. I think I don't think he was skinny because I what he ate. I'm gonna say false. Yeah, yeah, that's right. totally false. All right, so the last one here. He's three out of four. The drinking man's diet. Do you have any details on this? I mean, what does uh, the drinking man's diet? And I guess if you give me details, it kind of gives it away, doesn't it? Um, so, don't, so tell me nothing. Tell me nothing. Um, true, absolutely true. It's true. I like that you didn't need any more detail, but we'll give you a little. It was uh, subtitled How to Lose Weight with Minimum Willpower, and it was basically a 1960s Atkins diet. So it was based on eating steak and drinking nothing but whiskey. All right. Well, that's pretty impressive. So uh, so how's Herman done today? Uh, Herman did an incredible four for five, and in addition to our hard-earned admiration, we're actually going to send him a copy of a book we found called Help, Lord, the Devil Wants Me Fat, A Scriptural Approach to Trim and Attractive Bodies. Oh, that's going to be a great prize. Well, uh, Herman, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. It was a lot of fun.
You're listening to Part-Time Genius, and we're talking about the surprising truth behind exercise. So, Mango, before the break, I was wondering who to blame for the fact that exercise has sort of become synonymous with weight loss in our minds. Any ideas on that? You're asking me to name names? I actually am, yeah. (laughs) Well, I did some digging, and while it might be a little unfair to lay the entire blame for a widespread cultural misunderstanding on one individual, there's no denying that John Mayer makes a pretty good scapegoat. I'll take it. So who is who is John Mayer? (laughs) Well, John, he's this French-American scientist and nutritionist who did some high-profile research on the physiology of hunger and metabolism during the mid-20th century. In fact, Thanks to his breakthrough studies on rats, babies, and schoolgirls in the 1950s, Mayer became the first researcher to make a connection between exercise and weight loss. He showed that the less physically active a person was, the more likely they were to be overweight. All right, hold on. So you're saying that prior to Mayer, nobody thought that burning calories through exercise might result in weight loss? Yeah, it sounds so crazy, but that line of thinking was unpopular in the scientific community before Mayer came along. In fact, during the 1930s, some scientists actually argued that bed rest was the most effective way to treat obese patients, not exercise. Can you imagine this? All right, you guys go on a hike without me. My doctor says I need to shed a few pounds. I'm just going to lie right here. (laughs) Right. It sounds like one of those crazy diets or miracle cures you sometimes hear about that, you know, never actually works. But back to Mayer. He actually served as an advisor to both the White House and to the WHO, which made him a top name in nutrition and one of the most influential figures in the public health sphere. Thanks to the connections he made between exercise and weight loss, the idea of getting fit took off in the 60s and 70s, which led to this uh, thriving gym industry and a cultural obsession with working out as a way to lose weight and to live healthier. And it clearly snowballed from there. Obesity rates have risen dramatically over the last few decades as more and more of the population began trading jobs on farms and in factories for these desk jobs. It probably made sense to conclude that this more sedentary lifestyle was the cause of all that weight gain. Right. But today, scientists know that's not the full story. It's actually a case of mixing up cause and effect. People aren't overweight because they're inactive. They're inactive because they're overweight. It's harder to stay active when you weigh more, so many people just don't. Well, it makes sense because it points back to the real culprit behind the obesity epidemic, and that's diet. We really have an obscene amount of food options today, and thanks to lifestyles that are more sedentary compared to previous generations, we have plenty of opportunities to overindulge on all of that variety, and we take full advantage of this. (laughs) For instance, researchers at Harvard conducted two surveys on food consumption, One was in the mid-1970s, and then a second in the mid-1990s. And they found that although the number of calories expended didn't change significantly in that time period, the number of calories consumed in a day increased by 268 calories for men and 143 for women. Yeah, it really does sound like our unfettered access to affordable, no-must prepared foods has taken a toll on our waistlines. I mean, we're constantly surrounded by food. And according to Brian Wansink, a Cornell researcher who studies how we eat, we eat the amount of food we do mostly because of what's around us. In his book, Mindless Eating, Brian writes, we overeat not because of hunger, but because of family and friends, packages and plates, names and numbers, labels and lights, colors and candles, shapes and smells, distractions and distances, cupboards and containers, 
This list is almost as endless as it's invisible. I think he was just showing off his alliterative ability. That was was impressive. So it's not so much that our less active lifestyles have made us gain weight, but that we've developed the bad habit of filling that downtime with mindless eating brought on by food cues. Exactly. It's the reverse principle of out of sight, out of mind. Brian calls it insight in stomach. How creative. (laughs) This guy's just full of them. And it's a serious problem. For example, if you have cookies or chips sitting out on your counter, there's a strong chance you'll weigh about eight pounds more than a person who doesn't. Oh, wow. We really are that suggestible, aren't we? Yeah, and it gets much worse. Soda is one of the big examples that gets brought up as a contributor to rising obesity rates. And it looks like that's for a good reason. Apparently, if you keep soda on hand in plain sight, like front and center in your fridge, you're going to weigh, on average, 25 pounds more than a person who doesn't. Okay, you're just scaring me now, Michael. So (laughs) we've got to figure out a way to keep our weight in check. And it's clear now that exercise alone isn't going to cut it. Still, I don't want to write off weight loss through exercise completely like the 1930s type. So let's try to make sense of how to really maximize its benefits. Great. But uh, before we get into that, let's break for a quiz. Welcome back to Part-Time Genius. So here we are, Mango, four chiseled bodies all in <laughs> one room, or rather rather two personal trainers and two podcasters, I think. Yeah, so. but there's a 12-pack between the four of us. That's I right. <laughs> I'm with you on that. So uh, so who do we have us in, with us in studio today, Mango? We've got Janae Wirtz and Mario Jordan from the Forum Athletic Club in Pont City Market right here in Atlanta. That is just right downstairs from us. So welcome, guys. Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. All right. So we were just talking before uh, before we started out that, uh, Mario, you were telling us a little bit about your, your breakfast regimen every single day. What is it that you usually yeah, have? Yeah, I um, it's basic. I eat two cups of oatmeal and six hard-boiled eggs. That's so every not morning. basic. Six hard-boiled. <laughs> well, it's basic for me. So six. Okay, hard-boiled. You didn't say that before because I yeah. was going to ask if yeah, you were doing this like Rocky stuff. Oh no, no. Yeah. Have, <laughs> have you have you ever done that? Before? Can't do it. Okay. <laughs> it's hard-boiled. I don't do scrambled eggs or yeah. anything. It's just always yep. hard-boiled. Mm. How about you, Janae? Do you how many? Do you have eight eggs? A oh day? no, uh, probably throughout the day I could, but um, generally I'll have about four egg whites, sometimes one whole egg, and either a protein pancake or Ezekiel bread, oatmeal. It just takes so long to eat for me, so I really don't know how Mario gets through two <laughs> cups of oatmeal. These guys, and actually with the hard-boiled eggs, I have this problem. Or I used to when I would travel a lot, and I would stop in and grab a couple of hard-boiled eggs real quick, and I would eat. Them them too fast and i just knew that i was dying because i couldn't breathe like you're choking up because they're so dry does that ever happen to you uh sometimes yeah most of the time i mean it depends on how long you cook it sometimes yeah. if it's overcooked then it will it'll be dry Maybe just, like, you just gotta wet your throat with some oatmeal. yeah wash it down yeah, exactly <laughs> Yeah, watch it now. One or two cups. This actually speaks to what we've been talking about today, that as important as exercise is, clearly diet is very important. It's why these two are in such great shape, because they're not exactly slacking. Now, do you guys have your cheat days, or how does that work for you guys? Um, For me, I prep my food um, pretty much weekly, whether it's for seven days or three days. And then, yes, I do cheat. I'm human. I actually work out. And eat right so I can't eat bad. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. one of the things I do. So, yes. Okay. How about you, Mario? Yeah, I'm the same way. I, um, I have cheap meals right. here and there. That Doritos Locos Taco? <laughs> no. My thing oh. is uh, 
milkshakes from Chick-fil-A. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Those are insanely yeah, that's good. My, that's my vice right now. Yeah. Mine is queso. Oh, oh I, love I love Mexican queso. food and queso. My favorite. All right. Well, I know you guys have put yourself through a lot as, as, as personal trainers, and you work really hard every day. I don't think you've ever seen anything like you're going to see with today's quiz, though, Mango. What are we putting them to the challenge with today? We're going to play a game called Real Exercise Fad or Nonsensical Equipment We Just Made Up. All right. So this game is super easy. We're going to read you six questions, and you just have to tell us if the gym equipment we're talking about is real or something we made up. You got it? Okay. Got it. All right. So because we know you like a challenge, we're going to pit you against one another. All right? So, Janae, we're going to let you go first. Okay. Now, the first one is, and I'll read you the tagline along with it. Okay. It's Hawaii chair. If you can sit, you can get fit. Now, this is promising you can lose weight the Hawaiian way. This electric seat keeps your hips and bottom moving in a constant hula motion and you, <laughs> as you answer phones and file paperwork. Is this something we made up or was this a real exercise fad? Oh, God. I really... I watch a lot of infomercials. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say that it's real. It is real. It's real. <laughs> All right. One for one. So you really like move around. It like, moves your it moves your bottom around like I in gotta, a circle. It's so I crazy. Just as you're as you're filing. I like here you're actually doing it. Here. <laughs> this needs to be. A... Yeah, yeah. This is how Hawaiian I am. Okay. <laughs> All right, Mario. All right, she's one up on you. Here we go. The human slinkasizer because your slinky shouldn't have all the fun. So this is building off the slinky craze of the 1950s. This rubber suit and helmet with a spring on it was made to help obese kids somersault downstairs while shedding away the pounds. Is this a real exercise fad or equipment we made up? Uh, I must say it's not real. Oh, they're so good at this. All right. It is something we made up. Mango's a threat on this. He's pretty good at making these things up. All right. Number three. This is back to you, Janae. Okay. The Mulby Revolving Hammock, guaranteed to make your spine young. This young hammock treated your body like the net and slowly spun you around for better back health and weight loss. Is this a real exercise fad or something we made up? I was trying to visualize it, and mm -hmm. I couldn't even visualize that. So I'm going to say it's made up. Ooh, no. we finally have a wrong answer. They're oh, not perfect. No. We thought they were perfect. <laughs> this was a real exercise fad. And All super right. bizarre. I yes. need to see a picture of this. <laughs> Number four, Mario, this one's back to you. Air shorts, great for shedding body moisture. These versatile inflatable shorts were supposed to bake your stomach, thighs, and bottom, causing you to sweat as you worked out or wandered about town. Is this a real <laughs> exercise fad or something we made up? Uh, as ridiculous as it sounds, I'm going to say it's real. Wow. It is. All right. <laughs> Here we go. It also Janae. looks ridiculous. I don't know. I bet. The pressure is on, okay? It's one up. I think this is a two-pointer, though, if I'm not okay. mistaken, if I'm reading the rules correctly, the official rules of our game here. Okay. Tag suit. The it new way to weight loss. A weighted suit you can wear as you run around playing adult tag with your friends. Just don't stay on base. Is this a real fad or something we made up? Mm, a real thing. Oh. <laughs> No, it's equipment we made up. Oh, <laughs> she didn't see as I was trying to make eye contact. <laughs> so. All right, here we go. Now, this one actually, unfortunately, Mario, comes with a penalty if you miss it of negative one. So let's see. So the pressure's on. The game Thank is still you. Get it wrong, here. Get it wrong. Two to one, last one. This one's called Twist in Tone, the exerciser that's fun, easy, and works. Basically, it was a plastic lacy Susan that you could stand on while doing the twist. 
Totally worth the $5.95. Real fad or something we made up? It's real. Oh, wow. It's <laughs> real. Said it was such that is real. I've seen that. You've seen this yeah. I, I, I remember seeing something yeah. like that on TV. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right, well, tell us how our contestants have done here today, Mango. Well, as always, first place wins a handwritten note from us to your mom or boss singing your praises. So, Mario, that's coming your way. (laughs) And because we don't want anyone going home empty-handed, Janae, you're getting a pair of hander pants, the number one underwear-inspired gloves on the market today. (laughs) What I always wanted. I knew you did. (laughs) Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today on Part-Time Genius. Thank you for having us. So we were talking before about how we've been conditioned over the last 50 years or so to associate exercise with weight loss in what has turned out to be a fairly unhealthy way. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people start workout routines because they expect the pounds to just melt off based on everything we've been told about how to stay fit. But when that doesn't happen as much as we expect and the payoff seems too slow or too little for the amount of effort. Well, then it's goodbye to your gym membership. Exactly. And that's the real shame. So many of us put unhealthy pressure on ourselves as a result of these unrealistic expectations that we put on exercise. And the end result is often that we blame ourselves and just give up on losing weight altogether. Yeah, and that also causes us to miss out on the very real mental and physical benefits of regular exercise. So let's try to help avoid that, Mango. Let's put the true effectiveness of exercise for weight loss into perspective. (laughs) Okay, well, uh, first off, I think we should say that the main reason why a lot of people's exercise routines go kaput is the same reason why 65% of dieters return to their original weight within three years. As diet and behavior expert Charlotte Markey told Scientific American, people think too much about short-term goals and don't think enough about sustainable changes. If you're going to lose weight, you have to change your behaviors for the rest of your life, or otherwise you gain it back. And that's not a sexy message because it seems daunting. Yeah, it does. And does she have any suggestions on what kind of lifelong behavioral changes people might actually be able to stomach? Yeah, it's all about sustainability. So, for example, people don't have to completely cut out entire food groups or ice cream or anything like that. But we should strive for small-scale changes that we stick to, like dropping a soda or two from our daily diet so we can cut a few hundred calories from our intake, or staying on the lookout to avoid mindless eating. Well, I think that's the kind of sustainability is what we should aim for with exercise, too. I mean, once you stop thinking about the physical activity primarily as a way to lose weight, it frees us up to add exercise into our routines in enjoyable ways that we'll be less likely to give up on. Totally, and despite all we've learned about the limitations of calorie burning through workouts, There actually are some ways to use exercise to help us with our weight loss efforts. Like what? Well, for one thing, exercise helps distract us from our food cravings. It gives people something else to concentrate on. And there are some forms of exercise that can help maximize the amount of weight you lose from fat rather than muscle. Well, that's a good point. So we've mostly been talking about exercise in broad terms, but it's worth mentioning that most forms of exercise fall into one of two broad groups. So we've got aerobic-type exercise like running, biking, swimming, rowing, etc., <laughs> which helps strengthen your heart and build stamina, and then anaerobic exercise such as weightlifting or sprinting, which helps increase lean muscle mass. Right, and both types of workout will uh, burn fat and help you lose a little weight, but studies have found that aerobic training does provide the advantage in terms of most weight and fat burned. So if you're looking for the best way to burn the most fat in the least amount of time, aerobic exercise is uh, probably the way to go. 
That's true, but I wouldn't trade in your barbells for running shoes just yet. If sustainability really is the goal, it's not a bad idea to gain some extra lean muscle. The research shows that an increase in muscle can speed up your resting metabolic rate, plus boost your strength and even lead to a better night's sleep. So if you're really in it for the long haul, the best strategy is probably do a little bit of both. Which sounds like a smart plan. Another thing I always wonder about is fitness trackers like Garmin's and TomToms and Fitbits. Right. Lots of people swear by them, and they're everywhere nowadays. Like, I even saw that McDonald's was giving them away in Happy Meals last year. And what had to have been one of the most ironic promotions yeah, of all time. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. So everybody has these things strapped to their wrists, but do they really help us lose weight or uh, become any healthier? Well, you know, we recently had a listener ask a similar question, so I did some digging, and it turns out not really. <laughs> I mean, there isn't a ton of long-term research yet on the effects of wearable fitness technology. It hasn't yet been around long enough, but most of the short-term studies have found that wearing fitness trackers only lead to a small boost in physical activity, not nearly enough to lead to any improvements in overall health. And what's worse, one study found that when people were given the option of wearing a fitness tracker or not, the people who chose to wear it actually lost less weight than those who didn't. Oh, no. It was 7.7 pounds compared to the 13 pounds of those who went techless. Oh, uh, which isn't exactly a ringing endorsement. No, but it's not completely a lost cause. I mean, keeping track of steps and calories can be a useful motivator for some folks, provided they don't take that success as an excuse to reward themselves with their extra large pizza. Right. And uh, we've seen how that goes, right? So fitness trackers can definitely be a helpful weapon in the never-ending battle of the bulge. But just like exercise or dieting, they're no guarantee of weight loss on their own. Well, I don't know about you, Will, but all this talk about exercise has me feeling uh, a little competitive. Where do you say we go toe-to-toe in the part-time genius battle? All right. I'm ready when you are, Mango. All right, so here's a tip that comes straight from one of America's favorite fitness gurus, Barbie. In 1965, Slumber Party Barbie came to your place with a diet book in hand. And the only tip in it, don't eat. Terrible. Uh, Though here's one that's even worse, the tapeworm diet. Back in the early 20th century, diet pills filled with tapeworms were sold over the counter with the promise that you could eat more and still lose weight. And, of course, when the baby tapeworms grew up to be, like, these 25-foot monstrosities and started causing things like meningitis and dementia in their hosts, the government decided that the weight loss through worms was overrated and they banned the pills. Diet Coke might not be that much better for you than regular Coke, but it certainly is lighter. While a can of Coke will sink in water, you know, kind of like a bulldog, (laughs) Diet Coke actually floats more like a hot dog. (laughs) I'm glad you put the dog in that. Yeah, this really helps you understand what floating is. <laughs> My favorite exercise item from the 70s is the sauna exercise suit, which looks nothing like a suit. It's more like a tinfoil marshmallow man contraption that uh, promised to help you shed pounds as you just went about your daily business. Calvin Coolidge's main exercise in the office was through an electric horse, kind of like a mechanical bull. He'd ride it three times a day on various settings from saunter to gallop. (laughs) But the regimen sounded so silly, he kept it a secret until it accidentally bucked him from the saddle and had to be put down by an electrician. (laughs) So that's pretty good. But uh, here's a great tip from the 1700s. If you want to lose weight, stay away from swamps. In 1727, a so-called scientist named Thomas Short observed that obese people seem to live near swamps. So it was important work on the matter. 
titled uh, The Causes and Effects of Corpulence, naturally suggested there was only one smart way to lose weight. Move away from swamps. Yeah, that swamp tip makes a whole lot of sense. <laughs> I think i got to give you the title on this one. Congratulations, Mango. I think that's it for today's show. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Mango, this show got me inspired. Want to go for a run? Absolutely not. Thanks again for listening. Part-Time Genius is a production of How Stuff Works and wouldn't be possible without several brilliant people who do the important things we couldn't even begin to understand. Tristan McNeil does the editing thing. Noel Brown made the theme song and does the mixy-mixy sound thing. (laughs) Gary Rowland does the exec producer thing. Gabe Luzier is our lead researcher with support from the research army, including Austin Thompson, Nolan Brown, and Lucas Adams. And Eves Jeffcoat gets the show to your ears. Good job, Eves. If you like what you heard, we hope you'll subscribe. And if you really, really like what you've heard, maybe you could leave a good review for us. Do we, do we forget Jason? Jason who? If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.